I am thrilled with today's guest, uh, former congressman from the great state of Illinois, a six-term congressman, uh, Adam Kinzinger. He is the founder of um, Country First, which we're going to talk a lot about today because to me it is, uh, it's just makes a lot of damn sense. Uh, former Air, uh, Air Force pilot tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, current commentator, senior political commentator on, on CNN, uh, a great patriot, and one of the few uh, normal voices that from the Republican Party, Adam, Congressman. Thanks for being here today. Really appreciate hey, it. Hey, it's a, thanks. It's a low bar nowadays, so to be a, a normal voice is not. That's not really a hard thing to achieve anymore. You know, I watched that. We're going to talk about Country First, which is your pack, which is basically. Uh, I don't want to steal any thunder, but I, 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 everybody's got to watch this. It's a five or six minute commercial that I, as a former ad guy, was blown away by. It reminded me of a little bit of the 1984 Super Bowl Apple commercial. Uh, talk to us about Country First, and and it is, to me, the, the bastion of where we need to be in this country. Yeah, so this is a, a campaign we're doing, which is just break free. And one of the things that I've, I've come to realize, like, look, you know, I think the idea of a new political party, that may happen at some point. That's, that's, we're not really in that moment right now. But I think we have to get to a mindset where people can understand, look, you can be a Republican or a Democrat. You can be far left, far right in between, you know, whatever on the spectrum. But you've got to put your country over your party and, you know, the ability to actually even have conversations. Let's caveat that with if somebody's willing to have a conversation, they're just going to come in and yell at you like you don't have to take that abuse. And so basically this all came after January 6th. I stood up and did this like you know, thing on, on uh, a rooftop overlooking the Capitol where I'm like, hey, the Republican Party's lost its way. And it went from what initially I thought was just going to be kind of this truth-telling session into tens of thousands and now hundreds of thousands of people saying, look, we just, we, we just, we want somebody with that message to put the country before the party. And it amazes me how many people, and you've probably seen this, like, that just want to talk about politics oh. respectfully. It's a, it's a, it's an area that has not been tapped. And so that's what country first seeks to do is just, just to teach people again, how to actually engage in these conversations again with somebody who's willing to do it, not to sit at dinner and have your uncle yell at you. Cause you don't like Trump or whatever. The simple truth is interesting because as somebody who's in the media talks politics, people engage me all the time. And it's a simple thing. One, if you shut somebody else down, go, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're, how would you vote for Trump? How could you do that? I always start with, I hear where you're coming from. All right, and I, I get you got certain points, but what do you think about this? In other words, all you have to do is just not invalidate the other guy. It's just yeah. cute, simple human nature stuff. And it's really hard to do because, you know, it seems easy, but we're in this moment where, you know, everybody feels kind of unmoored. You feel kind of like insecure in everything, right? Because, you know, whether you're on the left or right, and of course I understand there's going to be, uh, you know, people all along the spectrum, but let's just sure. take left, right? Each side sees threats to the country. They see them differently. And so there's this like tendency to, to just kind of like go into your corner, you know, be with quote unquote, your political people. I mean, you, I see that in my party a ton now, which is look, you know, folks know that the vast, I think the vast majority of people in my party know in their heart that January 6th wasn't some FBI plot, but to belong to the tribe, you have to pretend like it was. And so the tendency there is just to kind of retreat to your corner retreat in fear and i think the reality is for you know people that want to kind of reach reach out and actually make a difference here if you want to make a difference in this country and in this conversation it's like you said be willing to listen don't take abuse i and i always want to caveat with that don't don't take abuse there's no, no. reason i don't do it if somebody comes up to me 
which thankfully they don't really do that much, but they come up and start yelling at me at the train station or something. I'm not going to take it. Um, you don't need to, but hear where they're coming from and recognize that, look, the far left and far right, both really want the same thing. They want to live comfortably and they want the country to be successful. You just see how to get there a little differently. I always wondered, because obviously you are such a minority in your party, common sense stuff, whether it's the impeachment of Trump the second time and speaking out after January 6th and saying the elections were fair, things that are just so basic. I always wondered that behind the scene, when you're talking to the other Republicans, they know better, right? They know it's not like they're idiots walking around. And do you ever just say to them, just you know, person to person, guys, come on, you know, like what? Come on, you know what? What's the? Yep. I kind of take me behind the scenes because these are not uneducated people. Obviously, they want to keep their jobs. I understand that, but they have to go home and face their loved ones and face the people around. Like, what do they say to you off the record? This is the thing that I think. You know, if I like, I wouldn't be doing any of this if I didn't still believe in like where the country's like the future of this country and, and humanity in general. But this is the part that discourages me is, you know, when I got elected like 12 years ago, I just got back from Iraq, you know, so I was pretty optimistic and, and, and I get into Congress and I always thought that like everybody play has, you have to play politics a little bit. This idea, there's never been anybody in the political system that has not played a little bit of politics. Of course, of course. yeah. But this idea that, like, I always thought that everybody had a red line they wouldn't cross. There's got to be some point somewhere where you're like, I can take BS up to this point, but not across it. And that January 6th, for God's sakes, I thought that was it. Now, behind the scenes, look, about two or three weeks. So between January 6th and the moment, the exact moment that that picture came out with uh, Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump, that intermittent period. It was nothing but silence, like kind of among Republicans. So we'd be in these meetings and nobody would know what to say. They wouldn't know how to react. We didn't know where this was going. In fact, my assumption was obviously we're going to throw out Donald Trump and, you know, and, you know, clean this party up. And so people would talk to me all the time, like, yeah, we have to do it. We have to do it. And I'd start leading this charge and they're like, well, I have to sit back. And I got this so many times, even until the last day in Congress. I respect what you're doing. I know you believe it. I got to tell you, though. I, there's no way I can do that and get reelected. And I'll just say to them, well, obviously there's no way I can do it either and get reelected, yeah. but at some point. So they'll just come out and say it. They, they don't hide, they, they don't hide behind anything else. They're just being really honest. Go like, I, I, I got to keep my job and that's it. Yeah. that's they, And they'll say that I got to keep my job and I'm look, I'm not going to, you know, they know I'm not going to go out and say like, you know, person X said this, you know, because you have to have like kind of quiet conversation behind the scene, but yeah, they're just very clear. I got to stay in my job. And here's what happens is when your identity is based on your job, it's not about the paycheck. It's not even about the power anymore. It's about, I don't know what I would be if I wasn't a congressman. That's yeah. a frightening thing. Yeah. Um, you talking about January 6th, I just want to go back to it because you were there. That You you had a, a bad feeling in your gut. Uh, you told your staff not to come in. Your wife was going to come and you told her not to. You brought your gun. Uh, take me back that day. Take me walking in and getting that first email that shutter your door and you know don't go near windows. And I, I can't even fathom what it must have been like. I still get chills. So like you, you asking that question, I got chills a little bit because it's just like, I, I, it's still tough to believe it happened. But, you know, the night of the election when Donald Trump said, you know, stop the vote, this election stolen, et cetera. That was like, I'd always kind of take an issue with Donald Trump, but that was where I had a heartbreak because 
when it comes to self-governance, the only thing you need is like people to know that their vote counts, right? That's why voting integrity is so important. Sure. That's that's, we, with that, we have nothing. Without that, we have nothing. I mean, that's Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yep. And so when you start convincing half of the country that their vote didn't count, that's a really dangerous place to be in. So I was worried, you know, in that intervening period, I had a lot of threats against me. You know, I, I remember one specifically, somebody replied to one of my Twitter, my tweets with just like a hangman's noose, like an animated GIF, GIF thing of a hangman's noose. And, you know, people would say, hey, we're going to come and get you. We're going to come kill you. You know, that kind of stuff you'd see. So come January 6th, I had told, I think it was on the first or second, we had a conference call with all of our, the Republican members. Kevin finally, Kevin McCarthy finally says to everybody that he's going to vote against certification. Because to that point, he had been pretty coy, which pissed us off, by the way. And I said to him, look, Kev, I was the first like member of Congress to actually speak. And I said, Kevin, when you convince, just what I told you, when you convince half the country the election was stolen, look, it is an America's DNA to overthrow a government without representation. That's what, that's what like, you know, the, that's why the Brits were kicked out of the U.S. And mm-hmm. I said, there's going to be violence. And his, his literal response, he didn't even say, okay, he didn't say thank you. He just said next caller operator. So really? I knew that this really? was going to happen. I didn't, I didn't necessarily know they would occupy the Capitol, but I knew there would be some pretty intense violence. So yeah, I brought you know, I can still carry usually where I go because I have threats against me and I'm not a big gun nut, but, you know, I have threats against me, but I never usually take it to the Capitol because there's enough police. That day I did. And and I again, as you mentioned, I kept my staff home, asked my wife to stay home. I used to say I told her to stay home. I, I never tell her anything. Right. I asked. <laughs> you asked poli- politely, right? I asked politely. And uh but anyway, I go to the floor when all that stuff kind of kicks off the you know, the, the certification process. And then I leave kind of early on. I figure I'll go back to my office and watch this and then, you know, come and vote when I need to or speak when I need to. And by the time I got back to my office, I'm, I'm seeing these Capitol Police officers wide eyed on their radio. And I remember one lady specifically, and I just looked at her and I go, has it started? Like, which is kind of a weird thing to ask, but it just shows in my mind that I knew it was going to happen. And she goes, yeah, they're using bear spray. I go, OK, so I go back up to my office. I locked my door in anticipation that something's not going to be pretty open my window and I can see on the West front Capitol where all the action was happening. But what stuck with me most was hearing that was right when the DC police showed up and now they're using all the non-lethal percussion grenades and bombs and stuff. We didn't know anything was happening even by that point. Like that still amazes me. Then the alarms go off and only two or three times in my entire 12 years have I heard them. And it's basically the system-wide system. You have these pagers you can hold, and it's a audible alarm, and then with a voice that follows, and the voice will tell you what's happening. This uh, police officer gets on, female. I have it recorded. It's the only thing I recorded that day. I wish I could go back in time and record more, but you know, you're in the survival moment. Yeah. But it's this lady, you know, shelter in place, and it wasn't because of the breach yet. It was because of the pipe bombs, and then it just accelerated all day. So I ended up in my office for a good four or five hours. There was a 30-minute period where I legitimately thought I would have to fight my way out. Because once you breach the perimeter of the Capitol and you breach that big line, everything is open. You can't – nobody can I, stop. I, I mean, there were, I, we were several feet away from these guys making – I mean, without that a, a brave police officer kind of like pulled them one direction. I, I mean, I don't know if the average person could comprehend how the precipice – we were and what could have what could have really happened as, as horrible as it was and how bad it could have gotten yeah i mean look at okay 
if they'd have come with more knowledge and known how the tunnel system works, they would have broken through. There would have been no barricade in the tunnels. They could have come. That's what I thought they were going to do was go through the tunnels that connect the off house office buildings and the Capitol. You look at uh, the Rayburn house office garage, the actual, they have a garage door that they had never put down. They've never needed to. It actually broke. They couldn't lower it. You had three police officers standing guard, hoping that the rioters didn't know that was a direct entry into the Capitol. Thankfully they didn't. You look at how close they got to the vice president. I mean, imagine a scene where they tore the vice president to shreds, literally tear him to shreds. Cause they said they were going to do that. Um, and then you imagine the scene, you know, Ashley Babbitt who was shot, like had she actually breached that perimeter, had they not taken lethal action and people would have followed, there were members of Congress right there that would have been attacked and hurt in theory. Uh, this could have been a really bad day. And, while I'm glad nobody else was killed, part of the part of the you know the difficulty in this is since it wasn't as violent as it could have been, people don't think it was violent at all. So you're a star in the committee. Congratulations, fantastic job there. You guys recommend indictments, prosecution. Uh, handicap this. What do you think happens? What do you think Merrick Garland and, and, and company do? Look, I, by the way, on the committee, we all, we, it's funny. We all went into the committee wondering if this was going to just completely suck or if we were going to actually be able to pull it off. And I think we you did as a communications and, guy, it was massively done. It really was. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Really was, and, yeah. and that's James Goldstein who really was the, he's former ABC news president or something. Yes. Yes. That's what he was. Yeah. And he came along and just, he, he helped us tell the story. And that's what was yeah. important because I think the important thing is we become obsessed with January 6th. The real story is what led up to Before, January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think I'm a little worried about Justice Department right now. Like it's been two years. I mean, you have people that have been arrested on that day that have already been sentenced and starting to serve their sentence. And we're just now getting a special prosecutor for January 6th. Like, I, I think that if you were going to indict the former president, it should have been by now. I personally still think you have to indict the former president. Nobody's above the law. And I think it's very clear he knew exactly what he was doing. But I'm worried that Merrick Garland is waiting for, um, you know, this document case to be the, the case or waiting for Georgia to kind of let out the steam. And I think he has a responsibility to go after it. So I, I think 50-50 right now. And I'll tell you, it'll be really bad for the country if he doesn't. One thing history has taught us is unanswered aggression breeds more aggression. And that's right. Look, you mentioned something before about if had they been smarter, had Trump been smarter, this election would have been overturned. I, I mean, uh, basically, if he had certain people in place, and if not for two or three patriots, Raffensperger or two or three others in a few states, uh, statewide officials, this thing would uh, would have toppled. Uh, that that's how close we were. You know, which brings me to. I always thought that losing would wake the Republicans up. You know, that that's the only thing that would change the math here is that, okay, let them go through a few cycles. And they basically lost five of the last six elections. I mean, it took a real shellacking. Yet nothing changes with these guys. Nothing. Explain the illogic behind that. You know, it's hard for me. I, I've tried to grapple with that because I, I was with you. I thought like, okay, once you lose, you know, people don't want to lose, right? You care yeah. about. But I think... I think when you have folks like Ron DeSantis that have taken up the mantle of Donald Trump, so even if you're a Republican that doesn't like Trump anymore, which is maybe, a, I'd say, half of the party, you still look at Ron DeSantis and you're like, but that's somebody that still has that anger and vitriol that I like. Yeah. 
means a little more younger and all that kind of he's stuff. Scar- he's scarier than Trump because he's a better package. You can't just easily point yes. to look at the crazy guy in the corner, although he's yep. even more dangerous than Trump, I think, frankly. Yeah, and he knows how to play. Like, he knows better than, like, taking on corporations or whatever, but he knows yeah. how to play that, and that's important for a primary. That'll 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 be a thing that can, can win for him. But, like, I think, I just, I think there has been so much, look, everybody, every day you have a battle in your heart, which is like light versus dark. Okay. The darkness winning that is so easy because all you have to do is just kind of let go and fear will overtake to, to disinfect yourself against fear takes really conscious effort. And I think when you have people that come along and stoke people's fear, like Donald Trump did, like, you know, now Ron DeSantis and other party leaders are doing Marjorie Taylor green, et cetera. Um, you can always maintain maintain control. And I think that's what's happening. So they can lose. But you're like, okay, we lost. Well, let's go to, well, but you don't want to bring the rhinos in because the rhinos are globalist sellouts, right? And that's how this goes. And you just use fear over and over again. And so, yeah, I worry. I worry that it'll be five to 10 years before the Republican Party even starts to turn the corner again. And I, I just don't think it's anytime soon. Well, the primary process basically guarantees it. You know, if they could, if you could get somebody going, look, you... It's a general election would be a home run. Obviously, you getting through a primary process in the Republican Party is next to impossible at this point. Yeah, and that's why I think, you know, these states that are moving towards stuff like ranked choice voting, um, I think it's pretty interesting because what you've seen, you know, look, Sarah Palin didn't get elected because of ranked choice voting. Places where it's implemented it, you, you now have candidates, whether you're a Republican or Democrat, that now have to kind of attract the center because of how that works. I think those are the kinds of things that can help because I, I don't know if you're going to get rid of primaries. No, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's so incentivized to go and be like, Hey, I'm going to own Walt Disney, you know, because they had a cartoon I didn't agree with like Ron DeSantis is doing, but he's a hero in the party. But I mean, both parties, and I think less so the Democrats, but both parties to an extent are incentivized to go to the extremes to win that primary. It's just something's got to change because it's, we are alienating the vast majority of the American people. I want everybody to watch that, that six minute video commercial uh, brand mission statement or whatever. Where do they go to, to find this for, for country first? Because it is, it's, I want to know who did it first of all, because it was brilliantly done, but I mean, yeah, we, we actually, uh, so it was an idea we had and we used this, uh, really good company out of, uh, that's kind of like new, edgy you know out of uh, utah and uh we we filmed this a few a number of months ago actually and and my my vision with it was just like so it's countryfirst.com it's country1st.com go see the video and we'll have different iterate we have different iterations of it but the the long one invest the six minutes in it because yes. it tells the story of like look you know let's take let's take uh con- controversial issues any issue even non-controversial let's just take taxes right all you're told is you have to be for cutting taxes or you have to be for raising taxes. Abortion, you're pro-life, pro-choice. Guns, you're pro-gun, anti-gun. We have been convinced that there are only two things, a red a red answer and a blue answer to every issue. Well, the reality is, as you well know, there's Most about- Most of us live in the middle, yeah. Yeah, there's infinite answers. And so it's, it's encouraging people, look, it doesn't mean you have to disaffiliate with a party or become a, a squish in the middle if you're, if you're not. But it's like, take those red or blue glasses off because you've been convinced through red or blue glasses to see the world a certain way. Take those off. Let's see the humanity in each other. Let's break out of this system that forces us to either be red or be blue one way or another. 
and just think as Americans again, and let's put the country over the party because the, look, the financial incentive system is set up to keep you divided. It's set up to keep you angry and it's set up to spoon feed you fear. And it's, it's, there's not going to be incentive to change that until we change that and make that decision. And that's what country first is all about. You know, we're training candidates to run. It doesn't matter if they're going to be Democrats or Republicans, as long as they put country first, uh, we're tell we're showing people this idea through this video of like, how do we break free from what we've been told? How do we see the world differently again? And just teaching people. I mean, you and I remember days when, you know, politicians get together and talk normally. I think a kid under the age of 25 has never remembered no, anything like no. that. They, they don't understand who Tip O'Neill was or exactly. Moynihan or, or or even John John, John Boehner. I mean, you go back yeah. and you go, oh, I, those those halcyon days of John Boehner. <laughs> I, man, I'll tell you, my best memories is just sitting, sitting, having a cigarette with John Boehner. And I'm not even a big smoker, but it was like John Boehner. And he'll just sit here and just tell you the truth. And he, I always thought if you put Boehner and Stenny Hoyer in a room together, they would have solved the world's problems. That's amazing. And, that, and that's what people want. I, I, it was a recent Gallup poll that they said, what, what do you want for the, I think it was Gallup, what is the perfect leader in this country right now? And the number one trait was somebody that can work with the other side to get things done. Yeah. That's yeah. just what people want. It's that simple. And, and yet we now have two candidates running for a Washington Post poll. Both looks like Biden's going to run and there's a very good chance Trump will be the guy. And 75% of the country doesn't want it. They they want different choice. The Democrats don't want Biden, and there were and most of the Republicans, not most of the Republicans, but a huge chunk of the Republicans don't want Trump. Yet this is where we are. Uh, this is uh, that's right. This is where we are, and my hope is you know because we've been through bad moments in this country that eventually conversations like what you and I are having, people are going to say, yeah, that is garbage that we're kind of forced into this. Now the question then is how do you defeat it? Like look. First off, everybody, you've got to vote in a primary. I know it stinks because some states you got to show up and you're like, well, I don't want to be labeled as a Republican or labeled as a Democrat. That's fine. But if you live in a congressional district, this is something that we did with Country First against Madison Cawthorn and stuff like that is if you're in a district that's going to be represented by a Republican, you may as well vote in that primary because, yeah, you can still vote for the Democrat in the general election, but your primary is really where that person's going to be picked or vice yeah. versa, the democratic. Yeah. So you got to think outside of the box. Cause we're, I don't know, we're in a, people are not represented and they can't remain not represented for very long before it gets out of control. Speaking of control, you said in an interview, you actually think civil war is a possibility, real power. I mean, one could say we're in one. What does that look like? You know, people throw that terms out. I I've said on the air years back that Donald Trump, if he lost, would try and start a civil war, tell people to take to the streets. So what is a civil war? look like in this country and by the way you were you weren't that far off at all obviously no, yeah, he yeah. would have if he could have um yeah. look I, I think and i used to try to avoid saying this until i realized like no we have to talk about this this is a reality look civil war is not like what you learned in school it's not going to be a blue army and a gray army lined up at you know ten thousand people at gettysburg a civil war is you think of like northern ireland think of parts of lebanon you think of uh you know those bad those Areas where you see a country's government kind of hanging together, but there's violence, sectarian violence. It's fine. Look at Iraq, obviously, in the in the you know kind of the mid-teens those years. That's what a civil war looks like in this country. So it's not that the federal government necessarily falls apart. It's not the federal government fights state governments. Although that's not so far off because now you're seeing people self-select you know to blue states and to red states where you can start having these kind of state against state interactions. That's not in the near term, but that could be a problem. 
But what you'll see is these rise in the militias. A militia may determine that a Democratic, uh, you know, congressman or whatever is not somebody they like, so they kill them. Well, then you have, in theory, a rise of left-wing violence to counter that. That's what you. That's what a civil war in this country looks like. And the bad part about that, I mean, everything's bad about that, but especially bad is. That's not like where you have this massive kind of explosion of violence that eventually goes away. You have this low burn, low grade attack. Which becomes, there was, state, which state, becomes state of the union, basically. It's yeah, just part basically, of who we are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Barbara Walter is her name, not the reporter, but she's an author. Uh, she wrote a book called How Civil Wars Start. And, and when I read that, that really opened my eyes to like, oh, this is far more real of a possibility than just a theory. Speaking of possibilities, you, you talked. You, you you said that the day watching that circus show of uh, uh, McCart- McCarthy go through eighty four different iterations, like you were like, I'm so happy I'm not there. I'm so yeah. so. What would get you back there? What would get you back right now? You're you're doing a lot of things. You've got your pack. You're on CNN. Uh, what would get you back into the political game? Because we need guys like you in there. Well, thanks. Look, I I uh, first off, sitting through one speaker vote is pure misery. Sitting through 15 is just like, oh, man, like because you got to roll call 430 people. That's insane. Yeah. Um, look, I'd never turn down going back again. Like, I, you know, I haven't lost. In fact, I've probably gained passion to keep doing this kind of stuff. And that's what's nice about being able to stay in the media is to still have a forum to do it. Um, I don't think I'd ever go back to the House of Representatives. I did my time there in terms of like Senate governor or, you know, a presidential run. I, I think it would take. I think it would take having a constituency that would want somebody like me, right? Obviously, you don't want to, you don't want to, if you're, what are the, Boehner's old saying is like, if you're a leader without a following, you're just a guy out for a walk. And right. uh, <laughs> I love that. Right, we right. we want to look at that. And, uh, but I definitely need a few years off. You know, the one thing I think happens that people have to be careful of is, you know, when you're in this business for a long time, particularly representing people, you get burned out. And if you don't get burned out, you're simply lying to people or you're a psychopath. So you get burned out and you're doing a disservice to people to stay in while you're burned out because they're putting literally their hopes and dreams for the federal government or whatever you are into you. So, but I do think there's a day I come back into politics, whether that's two years, four years or longer, you know, I don't know. And I think that's a day by day decision. Well, Congressman Adam Kinzinger, we need you in there. Get back in the game. Take your time off. Uh, The pack is great. People can go to countryfirst.com. Appreciate you taking the time. Been a big fan for years. Oh, well, thanks. It's great. Great to be here. I'd love to come back. You got it, man. Stay well. 